You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Come with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We will start in verse 23. The title of my message today, if I can remember, is Awaken a Life-Giving Church. That's what it is. That's right. And I got this from our... our, um, our school, our Awaken Academy school made me this little mosaic of all these little tiles and it had the, our, our logo on there, the Awaken Church logo and it said Awaken Church, a life-giving church. I thought, I love that, a life-giving church. If you want to know what we're about, if you're visiting today, we're a life-giving church. So the, the scripture, is, we're about to read some scriptures and it's around the story of, and I've got to move quickly because I'm behind the able with time already, but We won't read it today, so let me just quote it now. But the shortest verse in the Bible is in the context of this story. Lazarus, one of Jesus' dear, dear friends, has died. And Jesus has stayed on with his assignment, ministering. And by the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And the Bible says, John 11, 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's such a beautiful verse because it shows a God who's in touch with our humanity. It shows a God who is not indifferent to the pain and the suffering and the anguish that we go through. A lot of Bible scholars say, you know, what was it that Jesus wept? And I'm sure, you know, Every single one of them have elements of truth in it. But my, my, my personal understanding of why Jesus wept was he, he saw the hopelessness. He saw the finality. He saw the, the, the anxiety, the desperation. He saw them dealing with death. You, you were never created to die. In the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. You, you are meant to live forever. You are meant to have everlasting life. But because they rejected God and, and reached out and took what was forbidden, they were severed. In Hero, one of, the, one of the scenes that I wrote was called severance. Severance. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they, they rejected God's covering. They, they rejected God's authority. When we're obedient to his word, we come under his covering. When we're disobedient, we're kind of on our own. So that's why it's such a good thing to align your life up with the word of God. It's a good thing to obey God's word because you come under his covering, under his protection. But when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a severance. There was a severance. That that severance plays out in in, in the following way, that we deal with earthly tragedy we deal with human suffering we we deal with world worldly woes and worries with earthly human worldly power with worldly responses you were never created to deal with earthly issues with earthly responses You were created to walk in harmony with heaven. 
You, 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 you were created as God's son in the earth. But it was Adam and Eve that created a severance and said, now we, we approach earthly. That's why they can spend $575 million federal budget given to Newsom in California to deal with homelessness, and you only see more homelessness. Now, it's amazing. A lot of, a lot of his relatives, and they've all, got, they've all made millions, but, but the homelessness doesn't because they deal with earthly issues with earthly power. You were created to deal with earthly issues with heavenly power. With heavenly power. With heavenly power. So, so a, lot of people, a lot of people have some issues with that because uh, this teaching that, you know, you shouldn't expect God to help you, that you shouldn't expect God to bless you, you shouldn't expect God to... But you kind of miss the whole point. I know, I know, I know Adam messed it up. I know we're in a mess because Adam messed it up. But one of the most amazing things you'll discover when you read your Bible, which I encourage, is you'll find that the last Adam, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, everything that Adam lost in the garden, Jesus restored. That Jesus actually, Jesus actually repaired the breach. So when he taught the disciples to pray, he says, as it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. That thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The earth was created to be a reflection of heaven. Did you know that? The earth was always meant to reflect heaven. When God created man, he created man in his image and in his likeness so that God had a son in the earth that reflected his image and his likeness. The first verse of the Bible in the Hebrew is Barashid bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for heavens is hashamayim. Maim is the word for water in the Hebrew. Shamayim means heavenly waters or sky waters. Water reflects. So God was, when he created the heavens, he created the heavens and the earth to reflect one another. When you step into awakened church, the, the, the teaching and the theology, I did not learn in seminary. I learned from getting saved in a home where I had a clear filter. I used to think it was a disadvantage. My father was an atheist, so there was no Bible, there was no church, there was no upbringing. There was no liturgy, there was no dogma, there was no teaching. So everything I've discovered, I've discovered from reading the scriptures and seeing it out, outflow. So what I began to discover is that, that God says in Isaiah 55 that just as my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, so are my ways higher than your ways. But the whole point of Jesus' coming was so that we could enter into God's thinking, so that we could enter into God's ways, so that we could bring his kingdom into the earth. You and I are not meant to face physical issues with physical responses. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, thrones and dominions, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So just need you to understand that. So Jesus comes to, to the tomb. Lazarus has been dead for four days and in verse 23, uh, Martha meets Jesus and she said, Lord, if only you would have been here, you know, you could have prevented this. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Go to verse 23. 
I think they're going to put it up, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's already been, you know, been to Sunday school or Shabbat school back there. Now watch what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, sweetie, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Darling, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now go down to verse 38. <clears throat> it says, and Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I want you to know the world has conditioned you to, to live in a paradigm that seeing is believing. But as you come into the house of God, there's going to be some reconditioning that happens because the kingdom teaches the exact opposite. The kingdom says that believing precedes seeing. Until your believing changes, you, you won't see things any different. When you start believing different, you'll start seeing different. If you believe poverty, you'll see poverty. If you believe lack, you'll see lack. The house of God is a house of believing. That when you come into this house and sit under this word, you should start believing different. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're in this mess because Satan said to Eve, has God really said? Can you really trust what God has said? <sighs> Disconnect from what God has said and go your own. Figure things out on your own. Look at that tree again. See how... The foliage, look at the fruit, look at the way it glistens in the sun. Do you know that fruit's going to make you so smart? So you'll be just like God. In fact, you'll be so much like him, he'll be jealous of you. Go ahead, eat. When she saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, able to make one wise, she took and gave to her husband with her. Then the eyes of both of them, and they realized they were naked, and they were full of shame and fear, and they hid, and everything turned to custard after that. But the world that we live in is a world that lives in the vacuum of a disconnection from God's word. So the antidote to the poison, the antidote to the virus, the antidote to the venom in the world is the word of God. You're the smartest people in all of North County because on a Sunday morning you got up to get into the house of God to hear again, to hear again a word that comes from heaven that puts faith on the inside of you so you can believe different. So you can believe different. You know, a lot of people say, well, Pastor, I, ju I just believe that, it, you know, sin. It's sin that's keeping people in. If we were just holy, if we could just get a church that was holy, then we'd see revival break out upon the land. We would just see God. Will and, and I'm not trying to diminish the holy. But let me just say this. The word repent is not falling on an altar and weeping because you're sorry. That's called remorse. The word repent in the Bible comes from the Greek word. It's two Greek words actually fused together. Meta, noia, 
Meta means to change, transform, metamorphosis, and noia, knowledge, thinking. Repentance is to change the way you think. Is to change the way you think. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Jesus says, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom. Jesus says, unless you, be, unless you become like a little child. Today is, today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday. I, I promise I'm going to try to finish these points, four of them. Oh, dear Jesus. And, and still leave some room for people to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I, yep, thank you for your, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. I need a miracle. Jesus, I need a miracle. But watch this, watch this. What does Jesus mean when he says, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom? If we know that entrance into the kingdom, just, just as you entered this world head first, you, 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 you came from your mother's womb into the world head first. Every breakthrough that you had, before anything shifts here, it has to shift here. So, so science always follows Scripture. Biology always backs up Scripture. Because the same God that created the heavens and the earth, the natural world, is the same God that gave us the Bible. So Bible is always congruent with biology and science. The word science means knowing, knowing or to know. It's, it's the discovery of, of the laws that God has created. So science isn't against God. All science keeps doing is just confirming everything that God has put in there. So science and biology teaches us today that, that when, when we're a child, when we're young, we, we operate almost all of our lives is lived out of the imaginary center of our brain, the imaginary center. Uh, many of us were rebuked in class for looking out the window and daydreaming. Let me just, if you've got any shame or guilt about that, that man, you're, he's a daydreamer, that kid. He's a daydreamer. Let me just tell you, it was probably because what was in the imagination out there was much more interesting than what was being written on the board. Anyway, and so, but, but, but they, say that, they say that once you kind of get to 40 and over, a, a phenomenon takes place where we stop living out of the imagination center of the brain and we start living out of the memory center of the brain. And it used to be the first 40 years you live out of the imagination, the next 40 years you live out of the, the memory. But because of just some of the, the tragedies and the divorce and the trauma and the broke down marriages and families and abuse and all that kind of stuff and addictions, more and more young people have stopped operating in the imagination center and live out of their memory center, not at 40, not even at 30, but in, in their 20s and some even in their teens. No wonder God says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit, the Holy Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. To prophesy means you've you, you got to see something that's not here. You've got to see something in God that is coming in you. So you shoot a word into that day. It says your, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. For your old men to dream dreams, God is, God is saying when the Holy Ghost comes, the damage that is done by earthly pain, by earthly tragedy, the, the, the devastation and the ravages of this severance and its toll and impact 
on you will be repaired when the Holy Ghost comes. That's why we're a Holy Ghost church because I want you to stop living out of the trauma and the pain, but to dream again, to see again, to visualize again, to have a vision again, to imagine again. I got four kids and and whether they were with Lego or whether they were little action figures or, or you know, running around, you know, playing superhero, Superman or, or my little Zoe, she's, she's, she's two and she's got a doll and she's got a doll in a, in, in a pram and she's pushing it and she's feeding the, the baby bottles. She's two. But she's already living in an imagination where she's a mama herself. She's, she's a nurturer her, at two. But then the devil has a way of crushing that. Give up on your dreams. Stop dreaming. You're a dreamer. You're a, but here at Awaken, we want to awaken you to dream. The greatest dreams that you have are when you're awakened. Nothing to do with the message. All right. So I don't even think I finished reading the story, did I? Did I finish reading it? I didn't. What did I get up to? That's all I got to? Dear Jesus, what did I get to? Okay. Did we get to um, take away the stone or no? No? All right. Oh, dear Jesus. All right. Jesus again, going down to verse 38. Groaning himself, came to the tomb. Eight minutes, four points. Came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there was a great stench. Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from where the, the place of the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, that they may, be, that they may believe that you and I operate congruently, that they may believe that heaven is engaged. I want you to know, give, and it will be given to you. Well, you know, that, they, there you go again. You're one of them prosperity preachers. You're one of them blab it and grab it, confess it and possess it. Pastor, we believe that you should just give and not expect anything in return. Wow. Man, if you believe that, you're more holy than God. Why don't you just kind of levitate up out of your seat and do a lap so we can all just <laughs> champion you? Because last time I read my Bible... John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave. And He gave His only. Which means He didn't have a spare. He, he, gave, he, gave, he gave His only begotten Son. He didn't, give up, he didn't give an angel with a busted wing that just finished wrestling with some demons <laughs> to protect Jürgen while he's driving on the freeway. He doesn't give a bung angel. Doesn't give a, he gives His only begotten Son. He gives his only begotten son. Why? Because God knows in a deficit, like one third of the angels had left him. His son and daughter had turned their back on him. And what does God do in the middle of deficit? What does he do in a pandemic? What does he do in... He takes his only begotten son. Why? Because God doesn't ask you to do something he doesn't do first. And he gives his best seed into the earth. He gives his best seed into the earth. Hang on, hang on. Whoa, God, whoa, whoa, God, God. You just lost your son. Why would you give your only? You just lost Adam. 
The Bible calls Adam, Adam, the son of God. You lost him. And now you're going to take the only one you got left, Jesus, and you're going to give him. God, let me just tell you, we've sat down as a board, as a committee, <laughs> with some kind of financial guys, Charles Schwab, you know, we got him. And they're saying, it may not be too late to salvage just because he's a little smarter than you and I. He knows if I put my best seed in the ground, I can expect the best harvest. If I put my best seed into the soil, I can expect the best yield to come back. So let me just tell you, God gave fully expecting to receive back. Just let that settle. God gave expecting to receive. It wasn't like God gave Jesus and the angels like, Lord, what did you just do? And God's like, I'm not expecting anything. He was, he gave expecting. Do you know that seed that he sowed 2,000 years ago is still, it's still producing? 2.8 billion people on the planet every week, every week, people are getting born again. Every week, people are getting loosed. Every week, people are getting set free. Every week, people are finding the chains of darkness, the chains of addiction, the chains of Satan broken over there. It's still yielding a harvest. It's still bringing a return. Greatest investment ever made into the earth was the Son of God was put into the earth. So if God gives expecting to receive a harvest, don't allow the devil to dupe you that somehow you are more holy and righteous than God that you shouldn't give expecting to receive. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over. Amen. Oh, dear goodness. I haven't got to my points. I agree. That's exactly how I feel. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. All right, four quick points, if we can do it in Jesus' name. Number one, take away the stone. You've got to take away the stone. The Bible says there was a cave and a stone lay against it, and now that made it a tomb. Jesus is magnificent at dismantling tombs. When they put Lazarus in there and they rolled that stone over the entrance, they walked away saying, it's over. It's finished. And Jesus says, I want you to take away, it's over. I want you to take, I want you to roll away, it's finished. I want you to roll away, it'll never change. I want you to roll away, I'm going to have to live with disappointment. I'm going to have to live with, I want you to roll that away. I want you to roll away the stone. I want you to roll away the stone of impoverished thinking. I want you to roll away the stone of we'll never own a home in San Diego. I want you to roll away the stone of our marriage is never going to be any good. We're always going to be fighting. We're always going to be dissatisfied. I want you to roll away the stone of my daughter is not going to come back to cry. She's making, I want you to roll away the stone that my son will forever be addicted to this. I want you to, you got to roll. Notice Jesus doesn't roll away the stone. He doesn't roll away the stone. He is resurrection power. He's got power to raise the dead back to life. He could point his finger 
and kind of move the stone through the sky, but he doesn't. In this life, I found that every single time I've had to roll away, for me to change what was happening in my situation, for life to conquer death, for resurrection to conquer decomposing, for freedom to conquer bound with addiction, I found that there was something that I had to roll away. I found that there was something that I had to shift. I found that there was something that I had to move. When Pastor Michaela says, God, we've, we've been looking for a year. We've been believing for a year. You know we've been believing. God said to her, roll away the stone. He says, bring an offering. Yeah. She's like, hang on, no, no, that, that no, no, God, you don't understand. We need that money for a deposit. But he's like, roll away the stone. Because if you want to see resurrection power, there's something you got to do. There's always something you got to do. Before there's reconciliation, you got to roll away the stone of bitterness, unforgiveness. You, 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 you got to forgive that. Well, they're not, they're not asking and they're not deserving. I know they're not asking and deserving, but you won't see any freedom in your life until you roll away the stone. The first thing you got to do to see God's resurrection power is roll away the stone. It's interesting because... The stone is where they wrote the Ten Commandments. Stone, they set up memorial stones. Sometimes you've got to roll away the stone of what you've been taught all your life. Well, we weren't taught that God wants to bless you. We weren't taught that God wants... That's not what we... Our theology, sometimes you've got to just roll away the stone. He didn't say destroy the stone. He said just roll it away. Roll away the stone. And then Martha says, Lord, if we roll away the stone, what's going to come out of there is a foul stench. He's been dead four days. And he said, Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see? Point number two is the battle in this life is to believe. The battle is to believe. Your biggest battle and my biggest battle. In John 6, they said to Jesus, what, 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 what is the works of God that we may work them? And Jesus said, believe in the one whom he has sent. That's the works of God, not not." help the poor, the widows, the needy, do missions trips, build homes in third world. No, no, believe in the one whom he has sent. The, the great battle of this life is to believe. The great battle of this life is the disciples are in a boat with Jesus. They're experienced fishermen, but they're in a, they're in a tempest, they're in a storm. Fishermen are used to storms. They know how to navigate through a storm. The storm is only storm is only tragic when what is out there gets in here. The Bible says they awoke Jesus because, because the, the wind and the waves were beating into the boat. You, you and I are never in danger of going under until what is out there comes in here. Until the, the fear and the hopelessness out there is now in, in, in me. It's uh, until the devastation of the economy is in here. And, uh, uh, until the, the lack, until the loss, until the struggle, until the hopelessness, until the anxiety, until all of the stuff that's out there, when, when it gets in here, the boat can sustain until what's out there gets in here. But Jesus arises and says, peace be still. 
And immediately, there's a great calm and everything settles down. Because Jesus doesn't have what's out there in him. He has what's up there flowing through him. Jesus says, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give. There's a peace that comes from heaven. There's a power that is available to you from heaven. Pentecost Sunday was God is saying, because my boy, because my son, everything Adam lost in Eden, my son restored at Calvary. So guess what? I can get engaged again 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. 40 days later, power came from heaven upon his people. For 2,000 years, the devil has railed against this power. There are churches that, that will not even preach on the Holy Ghost. They, they won't let the Holy Spirit move. They ignore Him. They, ah, let me just tell you, I'm not smart enough to do this thing without God's power. If you and I are wise, we, we recognize we need God's power. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the power. The church is meant to walk in power. And it's a power that is not of this earth. You can face every earthly issue with a power that is... Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not from the earth, but they are mighty in God for the tearing down, for the demolishing of strongholds, for the loosing, for the, the weaponry that we have is supernatural. You're not meant to face a physical foe with physical strength. That's why David, when he looked at Goliath, says, you come against me with a sword and a spear. In other words, you come against me with earthly accoutrements but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts whose armies you have defied and this day I will prevail over you and I will take your head from your shoulders and I'll feed your carcass to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air so the whole world may know that there's a God he came against him not with earthly when they observed him, they said, you are just a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. You are not able to go against him. David said, I ain't going against him physical to physical. I'm going against physical with supernatural. You were created to walk in congruency. At this church, the reason we want you to receive Jesus isn't because we're trying to get you to join a religion. Isn't because we're trying to get you to join a church or a denomination. The only way to the Father is through His Son, is through Jesus Christ. We want you to receive Christ so that you can be aligned with His power flowing through you so you can overcome every obstacle, every Goliath, every giant, every storm, every tempest that comes against you. If you would believe, every Sunday when you hear this word, your believing will change. Your believing will shift. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is a belief house. Even though we call, you know, a believer a Christian, twice in the New Testament we were called Christians. Both times it was a derogatory context. All the other times we're called believers. You're called to believe your way forward. Your believing should change. You're believing about marriage. You're believing about finance. You're believing. Once you roll away the stone, the believing will change. 
I believe that resurrection, I believe that new life, I believe that we can get out of this debt. I believe that God is going to bring our sons and daughters. I believe that my mom and dad are going to get saved. I believe, I believe, I believe we can get a home. I believe, I believe that God heals. I believe that God delivers. I believe that God sets free. I believe. And watch this, when they roll away the stone, Jesus then says, Lazarus, come forth. It's probably my favorite scripture. Because I wonder how tempted the disciples would have been to say, um, excuse me, Jesus? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's dead. Probably can't, probably can't hear you. How awesome is Jesus? Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus calls out to a dead man. Lazarus, come. I mean, you'd be expecting Lazarus to go, can't, dead. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. Spot of bother, old man. Seemed to be somewhat deadish. <laughs> and really the mortars have set in, darling. I can't seem to come out of it. <laughs> Jesus calls out to a dead man fully expecting the dead man to respond. So hang on, hang on. So point number three is come forth. Almost done, almost done. So if Jesus expects a dead man to respond to his word, if, if Lazarus doesn't get a pass... If, if, if there was one person who should be exempt from responding to the Word of God. I mean, this is not a sick note from Mama. It's a death note from the doctor. Um, excuse me, Jesus. Yes. Um, yes, here's a note from his physician saying he's unable to go to school today. He's unable to. Re Jesus expected a dead man to respond to his Word. Lazarus, come forth. Point number three is come forth. What is come forth? Whatever he's telling you to do. Whatever he's telling you to do. You need to forgive. No, 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 I don't want it. It's amazing how many times, God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to, oh, I didn't want you to hear that. Lord, I want you to speak, not during the offering. Goodness gracious. Whatever he's telling you to do. Mary, they've run out of wine. She comes to Jesus. They've run out of wine. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? She's brilliant. She's brilliant. She says this. She says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Bam. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. That's the key. If you lost the entire Bible and only had that verse, you'd win in life. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. If He tells you to forgive, forgive. Yeah, but you don't understand. If He tells you to get give, what? If He tells you to serve, serve. What, whatever He tells you to do. Now watch this. Last point. Last point it says, and Lazarus came out. Verse forty-four came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them loose him and let him go now if I was if I was 
to give God one like little piece of advice. I'd probably say, hey God, like, you know, like you, I too am an author. Written a couple of books, you probably remember Push, pray until something happens. Anyway, just, 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 just a suggestion, God, just a suggestion, just throwing it out, just throwing it, humbly throwing it out there, God. Um, this is an amazing miracle. Like Lazarus was dead for four days and he, it's like incredible. But, but like this, this verse, like, could you, like, it just, like, can't you have it where it says, and he came out free. And he came out with a spring in his step and a part in his hair. A sparkle in his eyes and a glimmer in his smile. He came out more than a conqueror. He came out mightier than he went in there. He came out six foot four but was laid in there five foot three. I mean, that's, that's what I'd be suggesting. But that's not what it says. I'd be like, God, don't, 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 don't use the word bound. Lazarus come forth and he who was dead came out bound. No, no, not bound, like free. But it says, he who was dead came out bound, hand and foot, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Point number four, landing the plane. Point number four, let them loose you. Let them loose you. What does that mean? I can't get anybody saved. Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the resurrecting. When people get saved, I don't go home and say, wow, my work is done. How amazing am I? No, no, no. Our work has just begun when people get saved because He's asked us to make disciples. Discipleship is that people get born again, but their face is still wrapped in the grave clothes of their addiction is still wrapped in the grave clothes of their hopelessness is still wrapped in the grave clothes of their struggle it's still wrapped in the grave clothes of of man I, I don't see any way through this man I, I've lost my home I've lost my marriage I've lost my finances I'm addicted this alcoholism this this drug addiction I, I've, I've lost it all in gambling my job is to remove, our job as the church is to remove the and restore fresh vision so you can see again. My hands were bound. My hands were addicted. My hands were, 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 were loose those hands and, and loose the feet. Loose the feet. Let them discipleship. You can't do this last part. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Lazarus didn't do the loosing. They did the loosing. Discipleship in this church is loosing your feet. The Bible says, every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given you. Paul writes and he says, God will soon crush Satan under your, he'll soon crush Satan under your, under your feet. In this house, discipleship teaches you how to take territory, how to walk in authority over the devil, how to crush Satan under your feet. God, God is working with you to crush Satan. Every weapon formed against you shall not prosper. Every enemy that rises against you one way will flee before you seven ways. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. When the power of God is operating, when the power of God is working in your life, you walk in victory. You take territory. You defeat the evil one. Come on, we're out of time. Why don't you stand to your feet? Stand at your feet with me. If you're not baptized with the Holy Ghost, you can receive that. But listen, the first call that's got to go out is if your life is not right with Christ, 
If you've never surrendered to Jesus, that severance has got you trying to figure out earthly battles with earthly strength. It'll wear you out because Satan will just keep stirring up a tempest. He'll keep stirring up storms so that you can be like an experienced fisherman, but drowning in your profession, drowning even in your lane, in your... But there is a power that is available. There is a power that brings life where there was death. There's a power that brings calm where there's a storm. And that power is available through Jesus Christ. How do I get that power? You align with God. How do I align with God? Through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. If you're here and you're away from God, come back. If you're here and you once walked with God, but you got separated, return. If you're here and you know that you're severed from God's life and power and you want to make that connection, if you're one of those three categories of people, I want to say a prayer for you. If that's you, would you quickly just give me a wave of your hand and I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you. Who are those ones? Just lift it high and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. Thank you. Who else is there? Just say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you, darling. Thank you. Who else is there? Just say thank you through there. Thank you through there. Who else is there? Thank you up the back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Yeah, that's me. I need to connect with God. I need to restore. I need to reconcile. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? In a moment, Samuel's going to close out the service. Those of you that raise your hands, we've got two gifts we want to give you. One is a Bible. The book I was reading from, number two, is a book called Following Jesus that Pastor Samuel wrote. It'll just help you get started. But listen, lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words with me as I, as I close out. Say, Heavenly Father, on Pentecost Sunday, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and your power that today, today, I would experience resurrection, life flowing to me, through me, and all around me. May I be a mighty weapon, a mighty vessel in the hands of an almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.